0: looked at the, the, in Judges, Ruth's story is in the middle of Judges, and so we're moving beyond that into 1 Samuel, kind of the rise of the kings of Israel. Judges In, in the book of Judges, God would raise up these judges that would save Israel, but there was a time that they had no king. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time in the first part of, of 1 Samuel. Um, if you read in the story, there's much more to it than that. But my goal today in the next couple of weeks is to take a look at the first two kings Of Israel, Saul and David. I wanna look at a bit of the contrast of their lives. And I think that as we look at their lives, we can allow God to challenge our lives as well. The, The contrast of these two men, it boils down to one issue, and it's the issue of the heart, the real them, the integrity of them. You know, the integrity of a person is the real you when no one is around and no one is looking. And so, the contrast of Saul and David comes down to the issue of the heart. It's about the right response to God versus the wrong response to God. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time there this week and then next week. So 1 Samuel, if you track along, if you, if you, you know, enjoy reading the Bible or you read the story, First Samuel starts with a woman named Hannah. Now, the, the, the first thing that we learn about Hannah is that she is a barren woman. She's unable to have children, So it's interesting, isn't it interesting that in all these stories up to this point, it's how many stories in the Bible start with people facing impossible situations. Isn't that a theme through Scripture? I mean, we see it over and over. Abraham and Sarah, they were too old to have children, right? They weren't supposed to have children. God said, I'm going to give you children. And so they kind of took matters into their own hands temporarily. But God gave them a child. They were faced with an impossible situation. Rachel was barren but then she had children. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. They finally broke away, and then they're trapped, and then God opens the Red Sea. They get to the other side of the Red Sea. They go through all that they go through, the trials, the tribulations in the wilderness. They come with Joshua to the Jordan River. It's flooded. We looked at Naomi. Naomi faces famine, then loses her husband and her two sons. And so when we look at the Bible, and I think sometimes we can miss it, and that's why we track along. Like in Sunday school, we hear these stories, and a lot of times we just hear bits and pieces of the story. We, you know, like we get Samson, and he was the strongest man in the Bible, and yet we don't want to look at the part of his life that is not so pleasant. Massive sexual sin. And so I love that the Bible is very real. It's about ordinary, average people that needed God, that were broken. And so every one of these situations and these circumstances, they symbolize and they speak to our own weaknesses and our need for God. And so as as I've said before, walking with God doesn't eliminate hardships and sufferings, but it helps us to realize how much we need Him, even when we can't see Him in the midst of it. And that that really boils down to what, what faith is all about. Is when we can't see him and we know that he's working in the midst of it. It helps us to hold on to hope that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're suffering, that's not the end of our story, that God offers redemption through Jesus to redeem every story. And so that's what happens here. Hannah, we have Hannah at the beginning of 1 Samuel, she's barren, she wants a child. She cries out to God. God hears her cry. And uh, so God not only gave Hannah a child, but he gave her a child that would help set Israel back and almost somewhat began to get Israel back on track with God. If you know the story, she goes to the temple, she's praying, and the priest Eli says, God's heard your prayer. She has Samuel, who God speaks to, and he ends up becoming a priest, a prophet, and a judge over Israel. So he grows up, and, 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 and God speaks different things to him. But uh, as the story kind of tracks along, Hannah dedicates Samuel to the Lord and his work. So we see Samuel ending up working with Eli, growing up under Eli at the temple. And that famous story that God speaks to Samuel when he's eight years old. You know the story where he says, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel thinks it's Eli. He runs to Eli's room, and he says, yeah, what do you want? And Eli says, go back to bed. I didn't call you. Happens several times. And finally, Eli, the light bulb goes off in his mind and says, God's speaking to you. Next time he says something, say, your servant's listening. And God speaks to Samuel at eight years old, gives him a prophetic word that would kind, to, kind of set things in motion for where Israel was headed. So he's also used by God as he grows up to anoint the first two kings of Israel here we have Samuel standing in direct contrast to the evil of the day. Remember, we're in the time of the judges. This is a time of great darkness. The people were doing right, what was right in their own eyes. The, the priests, there were priests, and you have the high priest Eli, and he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. But the Bible says they had no regard for the Lord, they were corrupt. And it says this, that Eli's sons were wicked men. This is 1 Samuel 2. They had no regard for the Lord. They slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. These guys were corrupt. And so Samuel rises up as, as a contrast to the evil that goes on. So because of the wickedness and sin of Israel, God allows the Philistines, remember in the book of Judges that cycle that we talked about, the people would be in captivity because of rebellion, idolatry. They would just say, we don't need God, we push God away, we'll do things our own way. Then they go into captivity as a consequence for the sin. After a time of great persecution and, and, and captivity, they would cry out to God, God would raise up a judge, the judge would rescue them, give them a time of peace, they would get comfortable in the peace, Then then they would disobey God again. And this cycle replays over and over about six or seven times. So that's the context of where we're at when Samuel grows up. So God allows the Philistines to defeat them, and he, they steal the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was the sacred chest that was to be held in the temple in the Holy of Holies, and it represented the very presence of God. So on one day, and Samuel had prophesied this as a boy, Eli's sons were killed And there was a takeover by the Philistines, they killed them, and they stole the Ark of the Covenant. So this messenger comes to Eli with this horrible news, your sons are dead, the Ark has been stolen, at the news it says Eli falls back in his chair and he dies. And so we have another dark time in Israel, but God raises up Samuel, and now you have this man as a priest, prophet, and judge of Israel, and the people... Come to him, and he, he's speaking the word of the Lord. Even when, he, when the Lord spoke to him as an eight-year-old boy, it says this. It says the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And because of, of darkness that was going on, God's speaking to him. He rises up. He sp- begins to speak to the people again as, a, as somewhat of a judge and a priest and saying, you need to come back to God. Well, there's somewhat of a response to God, but then now here they are. They, they, they come to him, and they say, we want a king like all the other nations. And so this was a part of their problem is they, they, they would get into the idolatry of the other nations and they wanted to be like the other nations. And they go to Samuel and they said, give us a king. We demand a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And so this was, this grieved Samuel greatly and it grieved God because God wanted to be their source. God wanted to be their king. But the thing was is they couldn't control God. God is unpredictable, and we like something that we can control ourselves because that was the problem is they would take ownership and they would take control from God. This is a tendency for all of us. It's not just their story. This is our story. We have to battle every day to not continue to take control of God, to say, God, I surrender my life. I surrender every area of my life to you. And that will be a battle that we face all our days. And so once again, they come and they said, we want a king. So God says to Samuel, says, give them this word. And, and, and if, you're, if, you, if you read or you know the story, God tells Samuel, he said, if you have a king, that, com- that king's going to make your men go to war. You're gonna, it, there's going to be all kinds of consequences, negative consequences to you having a king. So Samuel goes, here's what the Lord says to all the people. If you have a king, this and this and this and this are going to happen. And guess what they say? Give us a king. We want a king. And so God says, we'll give them a king. But in the midst of it, God is still merciful and loving as he has always been. And so he looks for a man and he finds Saul. God chooses Saul to be king. And as we look at his life, Again, today, I want us not to just say that was Saul's issues. We need to look at our own hearts because God is speaking to us as well. We're given these people in the Bible and their stories for a reason. Saul's an average guy. He was a reluctant leader at first, but God had a plan for him. This is not up there, but I'm just going to uh, give you a little history here. First Samuel 10, God chooses him and Samuel anoints him as king. Again, at first he didn't want to be, I mean, when they, were, when they were ready to set him up and, you know, they would pour oil over their head to say, this, this person's the king, he's hiding among the luggage, baggage. He's, he's a little bit timid and he's like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to do this. But, but Samuel said, God's chosen you. And so there was a mission over his life. Scripture tells us that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he prophesied as they anointed him as king. It says he, he prophesied and it says he became a new person. So even in the midst of it, God still has a plan. Okay, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to have a king. I want to be your king. Give us a king. Okay, here's your king, but God still has a plan for this guy's life and he becomes a new person. And so that, that there is a picture of salvation for us. He His calling as a king began in a powerful way. And when we surrender to Christ, it says that he that is in Christ, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, that he that is in Christ is a new creation, a new creature. And so a new person, and that's what it says about Saul. He prophesied, he became a new person. God even spoke through Samuel later when he sinned, because we're going to look at that in a moment. But he said this, he said, if you would have kept the commands of the Lord... If you would have kept those, he would have established your kingdom forever over Israel. That was the promise. Even in the midst of it, I don't want to give you a king, but you're, going to, you're demanding a king. But, and here's the word for you. If you would have just done what the Lord asked you to do and followed him, your kingdom would have never ended. In other words, he was saying if you would have obeyed God, God would have blessed you and you would have succeeded as king. And so just as God has called us to salvation through Jesus and he puts his purpose and he plans for our lives, we also must follow him and his ways. Not living for ourselves, not living for our will, but surrendering to his will and his way. So what happens to Saul? Through this story, we will see the wrong response toward God. In David's story, we're going to see the right response response toward God. You're not going to see with David perfection and absence of sin. And most of you know his story. In fact, you're going to see some grievous sins that David commits. But this is all about, again, what I said at the beginning, it's all about the right heart toward God. It's the right response versus the wrong response toward God. So Saul, what, was his, what, what happened to Saul? Saul, first problem. We'll go to the the first one, Saul's first problem was this, he did not trust God and he took matters into his own hands. He did not trust God and he took matters into his own hands. And you will see this unfold. Again, this is all of our temptation, to take control, to take matter into our own hands, not trusting God. And we're going to look at this first passage of Scripture, First Samuel 13, 5-14. There's several slides here, so track along. It says this, the Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and they camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. A lot of fear there. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, and this is very important, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. God might not be early, but he's always on time. In fact, I think we can all agree that he's never early. (laughs) Maybe occasionally. But usually he's right on time. And I'm going to get into the importance of that in a moment. Let's keep reading. So Samuel comes up. Just as he's done making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and have I not sought the Lord's favor? So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established. This is that... This is that uh, Passage that I just read a minute ago. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his his own heart. And he's referring to David, the man after God's own heart, and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. And so let's talk about, let's, let's unpackage that story just a bit. Samuel had given Saul specific instructions, and he said, "After seven days goes by, I will be there to make the sacrifice." Samuel, as the priest, was the only one in that day legally able to do sacrifices. It was absolutely illegal. If you look at the time of, of, of you know, the, the, the sacrificial system and the laws that were in there, Saul was not allowed to do this. This was completely illegal. Samuel said, I will be there on the seventh day. So what happens? There's fear. You see what's going on there? They're in the battle. The men are scattering. There's fear all around. And so what does Saul do? Saul felt compelled and he presumed upon God. And he didn't trust that Samuel had heard from the Lord. And so he says, give me the sacrifice. The men are a little bit fearful. And we can sometimes respond in the wrong way, based on what circumstances are going on, right? We get a little fearful. Maybe God didn't mean that. Maybe God said something else. And, and then we start taking matters into our own hands. And that's what Saul did. And he starts making the sacrifice. And then, isn't it just like that? God, what happens? Samuel comes up as he's doing this, as, as he's getting done with the sacrifice. Here is probably the end of the day on the seventh day, but it's the seventh day. What are you doing? And Saul just doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't say, oh man, I was wrong, I should have. Oh, you know, I, I wasn't thinking, I, I was got a little fearful. He said, the men were scattering, so I made the sacrifice. And this, listen to what he says. He said, and you did not come at the set time. He did come at the set time, it just wasn't on Saul's time. He was motivated by fear. And so do we trust God? Do we trust God when, we, when, the, when, when, when the Lord doesn't show up and we feel compelled? Do we take matters into our own hands? Some, some of that mindset of something had to be done. And again, maybe this doesn't seem like a big deal, but if you look in context of what's going on, it is a huge deal. And there's times that maybe we feel that the Lord hasn't come through, that circumstances aren't good, that God seems silent and hidden. Things are not going the way that we thought they should or would. And so the temptation comes that we take matters into our own hands. But I think God wants us to guard our hearts and that we're not motivated by the wrong things, especially when we know that we have direction from God and that we are His children. And so some of this is a trust issue, but the presumption there was that Saul knew better. That he knew better than God. Do we presume that we know better than God does, maybe with our finances? You know, God doesn't want me to purchase this yet. He wanted me to wait and save, but after a little bit of time, I have to have that now. And maybe God doesn't really mean that. And then we buy it and we get ourselves into trouble. Maybe in our relationships... You know that God has spoken, and then we begin to justify. We begin to kind of tweak maybe God didn't mean what he said, or maybe the rules kind of changed in the middle of it, and God said, no, I, I, you had clear direction for me. Trust me. And so somewhat of this mindset of saying, I know that he spoke to me about this, but he's been so silent, so I'm going to go ahead and do this, that, or that, or the other thing because I know better. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. What's Saul's second problem? Saul's second problem was pride. You would think that he wouldn't struggle with pride because he was a bit of a reluctant leader at first, and so there was a level of humility that was on him at first that I don't necessarily know how I want to be king, but it doesn't take long when you have a little bit of power that pride can enter the door. 1 Samuel 15 starts out, and before we get into the passage, 1 Samuel 15 starts out by Samuel giving Saul a command. So we're tracking along, and, and, and there's this enemy called the Amalekites, and, and Samuel says, the Lord says, destroy everything. Destroy the whole place because of the evil that they had done to Israel. So Saul destroys everything except... Here's another kind of presumption. Saul destroys everything except some of the choice livestock and the king of the Amalekites. And so we're going to talk about that in a moment concerning Saul's third problem. But that's the setup. So Samuel, he's coming to confront Saul about not fully obeying. And so here's the pride issue. 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 12. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I've made Saul king because he has turned away from me and he has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. That is a tragically funny passage right there. A surefire way that you have an issue with pride is if you are building a monument to yourself. If I come to you and at your workplace or your home and you have a bobblehead of you sitting there shaking and you like to look at you all the time, there's something wrong. There's no gray area here. If you have a monument to yourself, you're dealing with pride. And this is, I mean, this is... This is what happens when it's the subtlety that happens in the human heart. You would, you would think after that other issue that we just talked about that there would be a level in Saul going, I, man, I blew it and I need God's help. And, and so then he you know, doesn't do exactly what God tells him to do with the Amalekites. And, and so Samuel's going to confront him and is where is Saul? He's building a monument to himself. So if you're, if, you, if you're thinking, well, I've never done that, pride is a little more subtle than that. Here's some things that we need to ask ourselves about pride. Are we more about ourselves than God? Do we grieve over our sin and humble ourselves before God, or do we justify it? Do we put ourselves first above others? Do we long for attention More than giving God attention? Here's a hard one. Do we draw people to ourselves instead of pointing them to Christ? You know, sometimes when we try to be God in someone's life and we maybe interfere with what God's trying to do. Do we honor our opinions and our experiences more than God Himself? Do we think that being up front is more valuable than being hidden? Because in the world standards, that's, that's, you know, you're climbing the ladder and you're getting out front and in the kingdom of God it's different. And so pride had so infected Saul's heart that he couldn't even discern that he had not obeyed what the Lord had said. And that's why pride, it, when pride gets in there, pride equals justification of your sin. Well, I did that because of this, that, and that, and, and instead of just coming clean. I love what John the Baptist said about Jesus. This is the ultimate picture of humility. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. That's the right response. I want Jesus to be seen, not me. I want the life of Christ to be in me. I want to walk in humility, honor, integrity, and godly character by people seeing Christ in me, laying my life down, serving out of joy, not caring if I'm seen or not. We must guard our hearts against pride. Saul's third problem, disobedience. And that's where we're going to pick up the rest of that story. So Samuel shows up, you know, and he's building a monument to himself. And imagine Samuel standing there. You know, and Samuel was grieved. Samuel loved this man, and he wanted him to succeed. But, you know, just shaking your head, what are you building there? This is a monument to me. And so Saul's third problem, disobedience. We pick up the story, 1 Samuel 15, 13 through 23. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. He just doesn't even flinch that something might be wrong. And then this is what he says, the Lord bless you. I have carried out all the Lord's instructions, yea, me, thus the monument to myself. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle. Listen to the justification to sacrifice to the Lord your God. All of a sudden, the shift and the sin turns in spiritual stuff. Well, I thought that the Lord would want them. I thought that this would be a great thing for the Lord. It's the best, it's the best sheep and cattle. We'll make a sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. And you see Samuel, enough, almost interrupting him, enough of this. You're digging yourself into a deeper hole. He said, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul (laughs) replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, humility. See, he, he had humility. Did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people the Amalekites wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And here we go again. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. Have you ever tried to talk to your kids and you are saying, why didn't you clean your room? And they said, well, I did clean my room, except for that big, gigantic pile in the middle. Well, there was a justification. That pile, there was a reason for that pile. I cleaned the whole room. And, and, you know, and, 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 you're, and you're going, that doesn't mean clean. The gigantic four-foot pile is not clean. We have a different definition of clean. And you see... Him still justifying, he said, I completely destroyed them and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God. Here's the spiritual twist again. In order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed Is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination or witchcraft. And arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. This is a heavy, sobering passage. And what we learn from there is God, help me never to justify my sin, help me to never justify my disobedience. What is Samuel saying? He said, God doesn't want your sacrifices. He wants your heart. That's, I mean, I, I imagine Samuel somewhat even weeping, saying, Saul, God loves you so much. If you could understand how much God loves you, you wouldn't be doing this right now. He set you apart. He anointed you. He would have given you a reign that would have never ended. Your children would inherit the kingdom. You would. You would you would be right where God wants you to be. He doesn't want your sacrifices, Saul. he wants your heart. A heart that's fully and tr- fully trust God to the point where you're fully obedient. Because again, he didn't, you know when you when you when you take matters into your own hand, you have an issue with trust. Disobedience boils down to distrust. I won't obey because I'm not fully convinced that God is, has my back and he's for my good. And what Samuel's saying too is, you know, here's Saul saying, well, I 90% obeyed you, obeyed the Lord. And Samuel's saying, 90% obedience is 100% disobedience. Again, because of Saul's pride, not knowing who he truly was, he deceived himself into thinking that he had done what the Lord wanted. Here's the sacrifices, they're for the Lord. And So what does God want from us? He wants our obedience. But let me help you understand, God loves you. He deeply loves you and he wants best for you. He doesn't want you to obey as a slave. He wants you to understand that he is an awesome father who loves you. And once you understand that love, that you obey him because you trust him. That's what it boils down to. When we disobey and we distrust God, we don't really believe that he really loves us. And when we don't understand that, we don't understand our identity in Christ and what we have in Christ, we'll tend to question why. We'll make excuses for why we won't fully obey. Christianity is surrender, but it's not surrendering to a dictator. It's surrendering to a father who loves us to the point where he proved his love, that he sent Jesus to die on the cross as a demonstration of his love. Don't ever question God's love. Look at the cross. And then he's saying, if you understand that love, then you gladly obey. You know, you can make your kids obey, but it's way sweeter when they understand that you love them and then they obey. So, Saul's fourth problem this is the last one self preservation. Self-preservation, this is one I deal with regularly. This is, if I can go ahead and confess that before you, I deal with self-preservation. I don't know if, and it must be somehow the insecurity of how I was raised and some of the things that happened in our home, but self-preservation, and I know all too well, and I regularly repent for this sin, but it's when we're confronted on something, we self-preserve at all costs. It's a form of Pride. We don't want to look bad. We want it to appear that we have it all together. I think that, that a lot of times we deal with this in, in, in the church especially. Well, I've got God, I'm, I'm not supposed to really struggle. And so we put out the appearance that we have it all together. We protect our reputation. We fear transparency and vulnerability because we don't, we don't, want, to, we don't want others to know that we struggle. And ultimately it comes down to that we aren't honest before God and others. And let's look at 1 Samuel 15 and look at Saul. Continuing in this story. So he's been con- confronted twice in major sins. And he starts out well in this passage. I mean, Saul says, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command. So finally the, the light bulb goes off, I guess, a little bit. I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command. And in your instruction, I was afraid of the men... And so I gave in to them. So he's talking about he was motivated by the wrong thing. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. God does not change. He is, and then it says, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. We need to understand the power and the authority and the majesty of God. Saul replied, I have sinned. But what does he say? Please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back with Saul and Saul worshiped the Lord. So at first he sounds like he's truly repenting. But then what happened? He first wants Samuel to come back with him. He knows who Samuel is. Samuel is the prophet, the priest, and the judge. He's a big deal. When Samuel would come into communities, people would kind of go, okay, what's what's he doing here? What's the prophet doing here? And so what if Saul says, Okay, I'm sorry. I sinned. Now will you come back and worship the Lord with me? This was an appearance thing. This was self-preservation. Let's go back, and then the people can see that Samuel, the priest, the prophet, the judge, is with me, and now I won't look so bad. Because at first, Samuel says, I'm not going back to you. I think he's on to him. You're just protecting yourself. You just want this to kind of just blow by. Because the people will see that I'm with Samuel. The people think I'm great. And then verse 30 is the tragically sad verse. He says this and somewhat, he goes, okay, I blew it. But now honor me in front of the people. You see the problem there. He's still hanging on to his reputation. I don't want to look bad. So he's wanting Samuel to come up and get out in front and put his arm around him and say, you know, yeah, he had a couple little mistakes, but this guy's awesome. Yeah, honor me, honor me. Once again, he's like, honor me in front of the people. Uh, and before you do, can I go get the monument that I built myself? Maybe we can set that up too. And it's tragic and it's sad and it's somewhat humorous, but it's, it's heartbreaking. I blew it, but now honor me in front of the people. He had an opportunity to have an impact in ministry that day. Can you imagine if he would have gotten before the people and he would have said, I blew it. I sinned against God. And I want to just call a day of repentance right now. It's going to begin with me as your leader. We need to get right with God. And I don't, I'm not going to make any excuses. I don't want Samuel around here to think you to make, him look, make, make me look better. I want to just be honest before God. Can you imagine maybe what would have happened that day? Our honesty and our transparency will do more to impact people than we know. I think the church needs to grab hold of that in a new way of rejecting self-preservation and be real. Say like Paul that I boast in my weakness. Here's my weakness. My weakness is on display. That's what Paul said. Here I am. I'm weak. So that if anything good comes out of me, you see the majesty and the grace of God and not me. So I will boast in my weakness that the power of Christ can be seen. Or the story of the, you know, the Pharisee and, that, uh, and, and the, the tax collector, the publican in the, in the temple. and you, know, you have that prideful Saul-like prayer by the Pharisee saying, Oh, God, thank you that I'm wonderful, is basically what he's saying. Thank you that I fast, that I give to the poor, and that I'm not like that guy. That's a prideful prayer. And then it says that the publican couldn't even look up. He beat his chest and he said, God, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went away justified. Do you want to be justified in the eyes of God? Let's be transparent. And in closing, I want to, to again, look at our own hearts because if you read the rest of the story, the tragic end of Saul, if you live this kind of life, because, again, how many knows that God wants us to finish well? But here's what happens when these things go unchecked he became very tormented. Demonic spirits tormented his mind. Remember, they, they brought David in to play the harp for him, to soothe him because he would just be terrorized. And he was tormented by the enemy to the point that one day David is playing and he takes a spear and tries to kill David. The end result in these things left unchecked Will lead you into a life of torment. And so we look at our own hearts, and ultimately it's our response to God. These these were all the wrong responses to God. Do you you struggle with the things that Saul struggled with? I encourage you that in your life, ask the Lord what He's speaking to you and and, and walk in that relationship with Him. But do you struggle with trusting God? Do you struggle with taking matters into your own hands, taking control? that's a thing that we deal with. Do you struggle with that? Do you deal with pride in areas of your life? Are you struggling with complete obedience to maybe what the Lord has asked you to do? Are you struggling in your relationship with Him? Do you, like me, deal regularly with self-preservation? Well, whatever the Lord may be speaking to your hearts individually, here's the right response. First of all, know that God is your Father and He loves you deeply. And He wants the best for you. He's not a dictator that's going to demand your obedience and whack you if you don't. He is a loving Father. He is holy. He is majestic. But He says it's all about my relationship with you. And that's what this whole thing boils down to is our relationship with God. What is your relationship with God like? Are you, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you given completely control over your life to him? Because that's what this whole thing of Christianity really, really means. Let's pray, and I want to pray for you and pray for me too. Lord, thank you for your presence and, and, and your love and your grace to us. Lord, thank you that when you confront us, it is, it is not for our shame, but it's for our, it's for our lives because you love us. It's out of great love and you confront us because you don't want us to spiral down that path that leads us to a life of torment. And Lord, I pray, God, for each of our hearts, Lord, mine included, God, that we would, whatever you're speaking to us, that we would get those things right with you, that we would surrender our hearts, God. Forgive us for pride. God, remove pride from our hearts. Lord, when we've somewhat maybe built monuments to ourselves and we've put ourselves before you, God, forgive us for not obeying you, not trusting you. Lord, not understanding our relationship with you. Lord, forgive us for self preservation. God, I pray that just in a new way that we would be very honest before you, before others. We'd be transparent. We would be vulnerable. Because, God, we all need you. And I pray today, God, that each one of us, in whatever way, we would surrender our lives fresh and anew to you today. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for who you are in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope you have an awesome day, awesome week.